been a while since I have been in the pulpit. Whew. I got to tell you, the only reason I even agreed to bring the word this morning is so I could be the guy up here without my mask on. But then they lifted the whole uh, mask thing, and so I guess uh, I get to be places without my mask on anyways. But um, I entitled my sermon this morning, Swipe Right, because there is a culture going on in the world that is all about this. Who in here has ever heard of a dating app called Tinder? Have you ever heard of this before? It is a dating app that people around my age use, and it is a way for you to meet your significant other. If you see somebody and you like them, you swipe to the right. If you see somebody and you don't like them, then you swipe to the left. And I got to tell you, when I look at myself and bring in the word this morning, there was a lot of things that I thought I should be swiping left on myself, especially if I was on some kind of dating app. Last year, not this past December, but the December before, me and my wife went through a divorce. And I tell you, there was lots of things that ended up happening that I would have swiped left on for my life. I didn't want to move home because I'm an adult. <laughs> I didn't want to move away from my kids because I love them with every part of my being. And I didn't want to not be married. But you see, all those things ended up happening. And you know what? This whole swipe right, swipe left thing, it's really all about timing. What if you find somebody that just so happens to come on your screen that you end up liking at the right time, and you swipe to the right, and you end up together forever? Or you may look at that person at the wrong time, and you swipe left, and they're gone forever. Let me tell you a story about timing and how my swipe lefts ended up being swipe rights. Like I said, I didn't want to move home after uh, following my divorce. But this past December, if you all know my dad down there, you see his oxygen tank. I had moved home and all three of us ended up getting COVID. Me, my mom, and my dad. And you know, my other siblings, they all live about three hours away. And that night when we got the call that my dad was considered a loss of life, had I not been the one at home, nobody would have been there to get to the hospital. And I just happened to be the one to get there. And I walked in and they said, Mr. Sturdivant, your dad was considered a loss of life about 20 minutes ago. But we somehow have figured out a way to stabilize him, and it just so happens that you walked in at the right time because now he is stabilized, and we're going to give you the opportunity to go in and speak to him. I didn't know anything else to do but just jump on my knees and say, Dad, it's time to fight. Mama needs you. We as your kids need you. And your grandkids need you. All these swipe lefts that I didn't want to do, I didn't want to be at home, I didn't want to be here, all ended up being the right things. My children have been able to have the best child care in the world over the past year because their Nana is sitting right there. 
and she has been able to uh, watch my kids when I have to work and that sort of thing. These are all things, as I said, that I wanted to swipe left on, but God knew that I needed to swipe right. All those were perfect in his timing, not my timing, but his timing. And so we're going to dive into some scripture about timing this morning. If you will turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. We're going to be focusing on verses 1 through 15. You see, God has made a time for everything in this life. Amen? I'm going to read these 15 verses for you if you don't mind. Again, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. And it says this. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. And I guess right now we're going through a time for mask and a time for no mask, right? Continuing on verse 9, what do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live. That each of them, this is a really good part right here may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken away from it. God does it so that people will fear him. Whatever is has already been, and what will be has been before, and God will call the past to account. <clears throat> You see, in this passage, God used the author to let people know that, the time, that time is irrelevant without him. You know that scripture that was read this morning in, was it 1 John, 2 John? Uh, it was all about the same thing. Everything is irrelevant without God. Amen? Especially time. And you see, we have speed things up a lot in comparison to the original audience at this time. The audience in Jesus' time, they were very simple people, right? They didn't have cars. They had to walk places. I remember as a kid, if we had to drive somewhere an hour away, it was like the worst thing ever. Like we were going to visit somebody if we drove an hour away. Now it seems that you can drive an hour just to go eat dinner at night. Isn't that crazy? We've sped things up so much in comparison but you know, as much as we speed everything up, God wants us to know that even though we've done everything we can to speed everything else up, we can't speed him up. Amen? 
His timing is perfect, even though it is not always fast like we like it. In fact, sometimes it's nothing like how we like it. But it's still perfect. My hope is after hearing this message, someone in this room will stop, slow down, and let the timing of God's will take control of your life. We get caught up in things like appearance, our need to boast, and worldly conveniences, and that keeps us from letting him take control. If you'll bow your heads with me, I'm going to ask that the Lord open up our hearts for his message this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, I ask that you will open your word, open our hearts, open our minds, and that the message that you have for us will be spoken this morning, Lord. Hide me behind your cross. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Alrighty, so the first point I want to hit you with this morning is God's timing over appearance. You know, I said we focus on things like appearance, our need to boast, and convenience. In case you didn't catch it, that's an A, a B, and a C. In verse 11, it says this. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Everything is beautiful in its time. When you think of beautiful in terms of appearance, what do you think of? I've heard uh, Major Gene Hogg say multiple times that when he thinks of beautiful... When he thinks of appearance, he thinks of a brunette, short, pear-shaped woman. I've heard him say that multiple times. But when you think of beautiful, what do you think? You think of something that really catches your eye, right? There is a passage in 1 Samuel that talks about God's view on appearance. If you want to turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 16, you can, but... Uh, we're still going to focus on Ecclesiastes chapter 3, but when you look at 1 Samuel chapter 16, focusing on verses 1 through 13, it's when God told Samuel to go and anoint the head of the next coming king. If you don't know it, the king at this time was Saul. Do you know what? And he was the king that the people chose instead of God choosing. Sometimes we think we can choose better than God, don't we? Do you know why everybody chose Saul? He was tall, he was strong, he was good looking, he looked like a king, right? Everything that you could think of, of why you would choose a king, that's what Saul looked like. The people thought, we are tired of waiting on God to give us the king that we need, so we want to choose the best one for ourselves. Was Saul a good king? No, Saul was a terrible king. Anyone in here ever get tired of waiting for something God has for you? So you choose what looked good on the surface and it turned out to be terrible? <laughs> I've done it many times. Good, you deserved that to happen to you. <laughs> because you should not have been so impatient. In this passage, Samuel tries to do the same thing. When God sends him to the house of Jesse... To pick the next chosen king, he automatically assumes it's going to be the tall, strong, handsome, king-looking of the sons. Jesse brings all of his sons out and he lines them up against this wall and he looks and he says, Oh, right, that's the one God wants me to do. 
And God instead says in verse 7, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. After he had tried all the brothers, Jesse showed him. God said, I know you have another little snotty-nosed kid named David out there in the field. Please go and get him, please. And it's funny because I think of my son, because my son always has a permanent snotty nose. I don't know if you've ever seen my son Jasper, but he always has a permanent snotty nose. But that's the one that God chose, the one out in the field that Jesse had probably even forgotten about. Oh, that's my other little son. Nobody is thinking about him. God's timing over appearance applies to everything in our lives, though, not just people. It does depend it can determine the people we date, it can determine the car we drive, it can determine the house we buy. It can even determine which dish that we buy at a restaurant. I've learned one thing as a fat man that eats fast food, you can never order the one that's based on the appearance on the menu because it's never going to look the way it looks on that menu when it comes out, is it? It always looks so good, but then it comes to your table and you're like, it looks so okay. <laughs> you know, several weeks ago we talked a lot about underdogs in the scripture. I loved that sermon series that you did and the mighty things God did through those underdogs. You may look at yourself and think, I do not look like someone God could use. As I talked about this morning, I think of myself as a swipe left a lot of times. You may look at yourself and think, I do not have any of the stuff that God needs to do great things. Or you might look at something God asks you to do and you think to yourself, that doesn't look right or that doesn't look good to me. I think I'm going to go and do this other thing that looks good to me. Do not do it. God can use each one of us and he knows what is best for us no matter how it looks. You know, even outside of us doing stuff that looks good to us, sometimes we want to do stuff that looks good to others, right? Because it gives us an opportunity to go and boast about it. So now I want to talk about God's timing over boasting. In our main passage today, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, in verses 12 and 13, it says, I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. It says that we need to do good and be happy while we live eat, drink, and find satisfaction in our toil or our work. How many of you get annoyed when you're at work? Anybody in here ever get annoyed when you're at work? But you know what? That work is what helps provide for your family, right? That work is what helps provide that roof over your head. We should be satisfied that God has given us something to work for. Amen? Sometimes people are not satisfied until they get to show off. Do you know some of those people? Do you know anybody that likes to show off with everything that they do? <clears throat> you know what the Bible says about doing stuff just for the sake of boasting, don't you? In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, it says this. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, 
brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and having you should have nothing to do with such people. Does that sound like today or what? Every single person that I see on TV or on media or something like that, that, that speaks about them right there, right? The part I like to focus on in the church is the part that says, having a form of godliness but denying its power. We like to boast all the time in church and do not even realize we are doing it. Before COVID, it seemed like we were so focused on having church services services just for the sake of saying we had a hundred people in church this morning right we were so satisfied because we increased the amount of people we had in church this morning there was 150 people but the real number the real question of numbers is how many people got saved that morning how many people actually heard the sermon and took to it that week when they went and lived the rest of their lives that's the real number that we need to be focused on, but we were so focused on just how many people were in that pew that morning. And what happened? When COVID hit, and we weren't allowed to go to church, and then we were slowly allowed to come back, and there were just a few people in the pews, how many people were dissatisfied when they left church that morning? You know, we only had five people in the pew this morning. Is that sad that we came to church and were dissatisfied just because of the number of people that were sitting in the pew? We didn't have the opportunity to boast about it, right? We should simply be joyful or satisfied that we have a service and are able to come and praise God from whom all blessings flow. Amen? Now, I'm not saying that we should not boast in the Lord when he shows up in a mighty way, but do not boast just to bring yourself some satisfaction. Because then on Sundays when there are ten people, as I talked about at the beginning, of the relief of COVID and people aren't going to the altar, we'll leave dissatisfied from church rather than satisfied. You should never be leaving the house of the Lord dissatisfied. Amen. I got a story for you about a man whose boasting went from keeping him satisfied to straight up disappointment. You see, the man had bought a brand new foreign sports car and had begun to irritate his friends by bragging about the gas mileage. So they decided on a way that they could get him back. You know, he was talking about, I get 40 miles to the gallon, I get 50 miles to the gallon. So every night when he would come home and he would park in the driveway, they would wait till he would go inside, and then they would go and get big gallons of gas, and they would pour it into his gas tank. And this was before you could check the little screen and see how many miles per gallon you were getting. This was just based on his calculations. So every night they were putting more gas in there. And every day he would continue to boast more and more about the gas mileage he was getting, just saying straight up fake numbers. I'm getting 90 miles to the gallon. <laughs> because he thought he was because they were pouring all this extra gas in there. But they knew he was lying the entire time. They took secret delight in his exasperation as he tried to convince people the truthfulness of his claims. It was even more fun to watch his reaction when they stopped refilling that tank, though. <laughs> the poor fellow could not figure out what had happened to his car. He was no longer satisfied with this beautiful car. He was dissatisfied because he wasn't getting that gas mileage as he was before. Kind of like we're satisfied when we have a bunch of people in the pews, 
but we're dissatisfied when only three people come and hear the word of the Lord. Again, I'm not sitting here saying that we should not tell others when God does amazing things through us. But the timing of God's will is perfect every time. And when something good happens to you, it's simply because God thought it was time to allow it to do so. He decided that he wanted it for you. As a follower of Jesus, we should be quick to boast in the Lord saying, God did this and God did that rather than we did this and we did that. Amen? Sometimes God even shows up in the toughest of times and rather than wait for it, we try to do what's convenient instead. That brings us to our last point today of God over convenience. In verse 14 and 15, it says, I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken away from it. God does it so that people will fear him. Whatever is has already been, and what will be has been before, and God will call the past into account. It means God's will is going to triumph over no matter what. You may change the stops along the way in the journey, but God will always provide the destination, amen? And ultimately, that destination is going to be one of two places. And the difference between those two destinations is one has a door that is very small and hard to maneuver to get into, and the other is easy and convenient, and you can waltz right through. In Matthew 7, 13 and 14, it says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. I believe that God has chosen a lot of things for us. He's chosen a lot of things for you, for you and for me. He's chosen a lot of things for our lives. And when we miss the mark for those for the sake of convenience, it moves us off the mark of that final destination. But hey, that's the world we live in, right? Try to be more convenient, try to be faster, try to be quicker. We do not have time to wait for the soulmate that God has picked for me. Let's make it way easier by choosing people to swipe left or swipe right, as I said before, with Tinder. I'm not saying that God can't help you find your soulmate, your right, Mr. Right or Miss Right through the convenience of an app. But I can tell you the devil has used a lot of its convenience to help me find Miss Wrong several times that goes for a lot of things our houses are conveniently chosen right in front of us on apps like zillow and apartments.com and people get to these residencies only to find out that plumbing is shot and the basement is unfinished because they did it sight unseen on an app right this of course also happens with cars.com too where the paint job is great but the back seat doesn't latch right and every time you slam on the brakes it slams into the driver's seat I'm sure that's happened to people before. Yeah, technology has made life choices so easy and convenient, but at what cost? You see, when we try to do things on our own, something is always a little off, right? I see some husbands and wives in here saying, hey, God gave me my soulmate, and they're still a little bit off. <laughs> but all jokes aside, God's will is going to come through in the end every time. 
And no matter how many times we try to use the world's conveniences to do better, it will fail unless it's part of God's will. There's an author named Ronald Meredith, and he has a book called Hurrying Big for Little Reasons. And he describes one quiet night in early spring, and suddenly out of the night came the sound of wild geese flying. He said, I ran to the house and breathlessly announced the excitement I felt. What is to compare with wild geese across the moon? It might have ended there except for the sight of our tame mallards on the pond. They heard the wild call they had once known. The honking out of the night sent little arrows of prompting deep into their wild yesterdays. Their wings fluttered a feeble response. The urge to fly, to take their place in the sky for which God had made them, was sounding in their feathered breasts, but they never raised from the water. The matter had been settled long ago. The corner of the barnyard was too tempting for them. Now their desire to fly only made them uncomfortable. Temptation is always enjoyed at the price of losing the capacity for flight. You know, sometimes God has things planned for us that are so much more than we could ever imagine, just like those geese. God wanted them to fly, but it was way more convenient to stay there on that pond and eat that corn. The convenience of what the world gives us to keep from reaching our potential that God has for us. Again, I am not saying that God cannot work through the conveniences of the world. I know several people that have found soulmates, forever homes, and reliable cars through the internet. But these were also people that trusted God in every step of the process. It is said that God will choose to close doors and open windows sometimes. Do not reopen those closed doors for the sake of convenience of not having to climb through a window. God's will is in his timing and it's not always going to be convenient, but it will always win in the end. And as we come to an end of our time here today, one of the most thought-provoking parts of our passage, I read it earlier in verse 11, says, He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from the beginning to end. His timing is perfect because it is always in his will. We have to be actively choosing to live in God's timing rather than our own. You have to be willing to choose his timing over appearance, boasting, and convenience. I'm going to ask the piano player if she'll come and play something for us this morning. And I want everyone to close their eyes. Everyone close their eyes. We can't see what he has for us, as the scripture says with our eyes open anyway, so let's close our eyes and turn our hearts to him this morning. I feel that someone in here this morning has been impatient with God. There is something in their life that they have jumped the gun on in matter of appearance, their right to boast, or the convenience. If that's you this morning, I urge you to come and speak to him this morning and say, God, I'm ready to take the back seat. I'm ready to let you take the wheel. And then you may be someone who is already following his timing and you simply want to come this morning and say, God, I just thank you so much for always keeping me in your will. I want you to come this morning too. You can do it there in your seats as well, but let's just take this opportunity to turn our hearts to God and listen to his response to us this morning.